You're listening to On The Go with VAO News Podcast for the week ending July 31st, 2015. Hello and welcome back. This is our Friday recap of some of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news presented in a fast and mobile format so you can stay caught up on the most important acquisition-related developments no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Bill's colleague, content developer and fellow news writer, Dara Curran. Hi, everyone. We're going to get started, as usual, with a brief overview of some of the week's significant headlines, and then we are going to dive into the discussion portion of our broadcast, where we take a closer look at a hot topic or intriguing trend that has caught our eye while we covered the week's acquisition developments. So... Headlines. The Offices of Management and Budget and Federal Procurement Policy have issued a directive requiring agencies to transition to using electronic invoicing by the close of fiscal year 2018. Even though the federal government processes over 19 million invoices a year, about 60% of those are still handled using a mixture of electronic and manual processes, which hampers visibility over transactions and increases the risk that late payment penalties may be incurred. Switching to electronic processing will also reduce administrative burden on both agencies and contractors and accelerate payments to vendors. Agencies are directed to switch to either an OMB-approved solution or use a federal shared services provider for the switch. The electronic solution that agencies select will be required to interface with the integrated award environment systems, including the system for award management. President Barack Obama on Wednesday issued a new executive order that directs the development of a strategic plan called the National Strategic Computing Initiative, or NSCI, to maximize the benefits of high-performance computing, or HPC. The order establishes an executive council jointly led by the directors of the Office of Science and Technology Policy and OMB, which will lead the participating federal agencies, which include the Departments of Energy, Defense and Homeland Security and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, in developing a government-wide plan to increase computing capabilities, with the ultimate goal of rolling out that increased computing power to support agency missions. An implementation plan detailing how support efforts will be structured is due to be released within 90 days of the order's issuance. In a new special publication, the Government Accountability Office identified best practices for managing the risk of fraud and organized a risk management framework, which emphasizes fraud prevention, but also detection and response. The framework also notes the importance of monitoring results and incorporating feedback into fraud controls. GEO's best practices include having senior-level commitment to a risk management culture and having an entity within the program office to lead risk management activities, conducting regular risk assessments, which evaluate the likelihood and impact of potential fraud and help the agency determine its tolerance for risk, creating an anti-fraud strategy and establishing collaborative relationships among stakeholders to share information and lessons learned, and evaluating outcomes and adapting the strategy to improve risk management. This week, the Senate voted unanimously to approve the Federal Improper Payments Coordination Act of 2015, which would build on other improper payment legislation from the last few years by improving existing requirements and procedures to identify and prevent improper payments. Specific provisions in the legislation would expand access to the government's do not pay list and require DOD and the Department of State to share death information with other agencies and expand access to Social Security death information. The bill now goes to the House for further consideration, where similar legislation awaits floor consideration. 
The Department of Defense has reissued DOD Instruction 5030.60, which establishes procedures and policy and assigns responsibility for above-standard work orders for Washington Headquarters Services-owned and delegated lease facilities. Above-standard services are services that go above and beyond commercially equivalent services funded by the tenant through basic rent payment. Uh, that would be things like overtime air conditioning operations or daytime office space cleaning. The instruction authorizes use of DD Form 2647, entitled Reimbursable Project Worksheet, to request above standard billing services and is effective July 24, 2015. DOD has selected Lidos, a defense information technology firm, to lead the creation of an electronic health record off-the-shelf solution for the military health system under its Defense Healthcare Management Systems Modernization Program. The $4.3 billion initiative aims to get a health records platform running across sites worldwide by 2022. In other contract news, the Department of Homeland Security has signed a Memorandum of Understanding with the General Services Administration, which commits them to using the agency's One Acquisition Solution for Integrated Services contract, that's OASIS, and also the OASIS Small Business Contract for Buying Professional Services. DHS is adopting OASIS as part of its strategic sourcing program and could award up to $250 million annually through the contract. DHS joins the Army and Air Force in committing to using OASIS. This week, the Department of Commerce published a final rule incorporating Office of Management and Budget Guidance for federal grant programs into its departmental regulations. OMB issued the guidance in December 2013 and published a joint interim rule in December of 2014 to implement it. Commerce is adopting that rule without change, effective August 27th, and just recently the Department of Veteran Affairs also adopted that guidance in a final rule. Also this week, the Department of Transportation Office of Inspector General addressed some challenges with the contract closeout process within the department and its components. OIG identified issues with closing out contracts in a timely manner and also documenting the closeout process and other contract file information. OIG noted a lack of sufficient guidance and oversight for contract closeout and recommended DOT issue additional guidance on contract closeouts and require components to update or finalize their policies to align with federal and DOT requirements. And that's it for headlines for this week. Um, I did have one more th one thing uh, to discuss. It was technically a headline, but it was also a good uh, discussion point about innovation, which we've talked about a lot yes, on the podcast. Um, every week, it seems like agencies are trying something new, um, either a new office like an innovation lab or a digital service or a new contracting approach like prototyping or open architecture or things like uh, cognitive computing, which we talked about last week. Um, so we're going to loop around this week and follow up on something that we picked up on a previous podcast, and that is the GSA 18F team's blanket purchase agreement for agile development and delivery. And in June, the team issued the RFQ for the contract, which had some requirements that were a bit out of the ordinary. Uh, 18F asked vendors to demonstrate their expertise with agile development techniques by building a working prototype based on a government data set and making that product available to the public for comment. And this process replaced the requirement for a full proposal. Instead of asking offers to talk about what they can do, 18F said, show us. I, I love this idea as, you know, we're seeing so much of this with, you know, even contests and challenges, not just with, you know, the RFP process, but now it's moving into the solicitation process of agencies, you know, asking vendors or even the public to, 
well, you know, one aspect is making things without getting paid for it. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, business development, you know, I used to work on that side of the business. And it still is a lot of effort also to just put together your proposal. And so, you know, it's kind of intriguing that they're sort of blending these two things together. But but I really I do like that you're when you pick something um, for your your RFP process, you, you know, it's going to work when you've done, uh, you know, something like this. That's really cool. Right. Right when the vendors already shown they can do what they say they can do, um, yeah, it's actually it, it's very interesting. And H&F made a a point of saying they wanted the the RFP process to be agile since they were buying agile services. You know, they're awarding mm-hmm. this BPA. So meta, say, right? They can <laughs> they companies say they can do agile, so they want to you know they want them to show that they can do it because it's obviously a very new process and very important. So how they structure that exactly then? Well, they uh, they recently conducted a sprint. They issued their proposal and uh, uh, they required vendors to go through a sprint, which is a short burst of activity, which results in a finished product. And vendors had two weeks to complete an application uh, based on government data and then submit that product to 18F with a short proposal that included their staffing and price information. Uh, A Federal Times talked to some vendors who made offers, and surprisingly, they liked the process. And they said they hope this becomes more common in the future. I thought that was interesting. Um, Some said they preferred to show off their capabilities and make something useful instead of assembling a lengthy proposal, like you just said, very time-consuming and can be costly. Um, One vendor, and I I thought this was a a great comment, uh, said the process could make it easier for small businesses to compete. Wow, that's really interesting. Now, you know, to a certain extent, you would think that would be a harder barrier of entry because the problem with small businesses is that they have, you know, it's limited resources, right? You got a little team of 10 people or whatever who's doing stuff that, right. oh, we've got to get take two guys off to do this, you know, thing on speculation, uh, which may not earn us any money. You know, that's, that's kind of an intriguing thing. It is. And, and what he said, and, and this actually kind of ties into what you you mentioned about the proposal process also is when his company started out, they did not have a big staff to work on proposals, right? Uh, you know, small startups are usually small and the staff are the people that are the, the doers, right? The creators, yes. right? It's usually the, the three guys in the garage putting together their thing. And that's who's, you know, that's where some of your, a lot of your innovation comes from. That's where your, your energy is coming from. And so these, these guys don't have, three people in an office someplace else assembling proposals proposals. is a totally different banana boat (laughs) that is like just you know and and, you know there's specialized forms when you are bidding with federal government stuff i'm just you know understanding government speak and how to fill out a standard form 330 and things like that the requirements it's you know it's a very it's a very onerous process hey i mean you know our, our our clients know that from the other side like they're going through this huge manual of things that they have to hit and then you know the rfp comes out and anybody who wants to propose on it is looking at the, the you know product of that with all of those requirements then spelled out it's like whoa just trying to read through an RFP sometimes can be really confusing let alone putting together your response to it right right exactly um, and conversely they also said you know large businesses might uh, be a little put off by it maybe you know uh, not not willing to put out a product um, you know, show their cards, so to speak, without oh, a contract. Proprietary and, information, yeah. Right, right. And they might just not even be set up for it, right? You know, you know, larger firms are a little more uh, stayed, I guess. You know, if, if they've got their processes, they might not have 
three or four people that can just jump on a thing and start making something. Interesting. Uh, so counterintuitively, this is leveling the playing field for small mm-hmm. businesses. And right. that's, okay, interesting. Maybe even really. giving them a leg up. So, yeah, yeah so overall, they, they gave the process very high marks. I, I think it's something agencies might want to take an eyeball at. Oh, definitely. Well, and also, I mean, just Agile alone, right? Agile is right. a new mandatory directive under Fatara, and so, right. hey, get used to it, right? Right. That exactly. We talked a lot about Fatara. We're watching it, and you know, doing a lot of uh, a lot of writing about it uh, on our side. And Agile is a, is a huge requirement. CIOs are going to be requiring more Agile. They're they're actually they're required to ensure that their agencies are using Agile to the extent practical uh practical in their in their acquisitions so they're going to be you know signing off or not signing off on acquisitions based on on how well they use or plan to use agile development so it's going to be a a, a fairly very big deal uh for agencies so it's something that that's coming down the pike more so than it has been um, there's been a lot of encouragement to use agile but now it is really got more of the weight of law behind it, and the CIO is going to be accountable for that. Mm. Um, step and, away and, from the waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> step away. Step away. And it's interesting. It'll be, we, we, we had a, you and I had a conversation about this where we were talking about Fatera offline, and, and that, sounds really, that sounds really cute, I'm sure, to our listeners, that, <laughs> that we were just coincidentally talking about Fatera. Over, over uh, churros and coffee. That's a nice smoky jacket. Um, but we're actually talking about Fatera, and and how how the collaboration you know the, the, it requires much more collaboration uh, between all the CXO offices and and one uh, Luke McCormick who's in uh, the DHS CIO he had mentioned um, in a, in a panel discussion how this this connectivity between the different offices between the C-suite level executives um, can really help the CIO suggest technology solutions to internal challenges whereas you know before left on their own without you know really more so much uh, collaboration with the IT workforce um offices might be looking at maybe changing a policy or changing a process or hiring new people um and so so for Tara could very well allow the IT workforce to suggest innovation, to suggest tech solutions, apps. There's an app for that. When when a, when a challenge comes up, when a problem comes up, you know, there's a sticking point somewhere. You know, there could be using this kind of process, we could be seeing fast solutions to internal challenges. Um, you know, through through the use of data, through an application, through a fast technology fix, whereas before it might have been a timely process of, oh, let's think about our new policy. Let's go, oh, how's the old process working? What's our new process? So let's do it differently. Let's hire more people. Um, so it could, it could uh, really introduce innovation and, in, you know, more, in more innovation into agencies, uh, agencies' processes and make it simpler to address challenges. And with fewer resources, less money, less time, yes. less people involved. Yeah, I love that. It's, you know, you, you, any kind of law comes out, and you're like, oh, no, compliance, you know, more stuff to do. But, the you know, Fatara codifies having, like, a super tech-savvy buddy on your side all the time, and that's kind right. of like an awesome benefit to have, like coming right. out of it. So yes, it's not it's not all compliance news and going into the salt mines of like having to do more reporting and stuff like that. So there's right. there's going to be an upside, all right. Yes, well, it depends on which which angle of the telescope you're looking at, right? Are you looking at it as oh no, the CAO is going to be signing off on my contracts and my statements of work, or is it going to be like you said, I've got my tech guy here. 
throwing yeah. throwing cool ideas at me. Totally. Let me yeah. Save some money Take or his save brain for ideas on what to do. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. So you know, it, it, hopefully there's a optimistic side to look at it as well, not just a additional oversight. Definitely. Cool. All right. And on that up note. Yes. <laughs> Positive notes. <laughs> All right. Well, that winds it up for us for this week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can yeah. find links to the headlines that we recapped for further reading on VAO, and it'll be on the same page where you downloaded this podcast. And you can also comment about the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback on the format or the content or anything else you would like to tell us. We'll be back on August 7th with our next weekly news recap. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.